you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Half Step Pod. I'm your co-host, Connor Lane, and across from me, via Zoom, as usual, Grant Fisher. Grant, how you doing, man? Doing well. Um, yeah, just just vibing out in Portland right now, heading out tomorrow. Um, I, today is Wednesday, um, but heading out tomorrow, driving down to Eugene. Uh, I've got the pre-classic this weekend on Saturday, um racing a two mile it's a super loaded field from what i hear um haven't seen the official heat sheets but the 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 murmurs were that pretty much everyone that raced the olympics in the 5k or 10k are gonna be in this two mile um so it'll be loaded it'll be fast um and it'll be fun yeah you know you i'm really excited to watch you in that and you left us at the end of the last app in a little bit of a will he or won't he situation regarding racing pre-classic you were dealing with the calf strain that you picked up uh in between the right right before i guess the 5k prelim at the olympics so how has that been this past week uh enabling your decision to to race you you talked about you're going to do a workout on friday that was going to be a big determiner uh how has it all been going yeah um it it came along quite quickly um i was really happy with how my calf responded after i think we discussed this last time but I guess as a little recap, uh, after the 5k final, I took maybe three or four days off completely. Um, no cross training or anything, just let my calf completely heal, um, as much as it could. Um, did a bunch of like strengthening exercises and, uh, like got a bunch of, uh, physio work on the calf, but didn't actually do any activity on it. Um, and that cleared up mostly everything. I was still a little hesitant on it um, when we last spoke. Um, and so I wanted to get a a workout in because I was able to easy run on it, but sprinting, being in spikes, those are different things than easy running, um, especially on like a, a lower leg thing. So, um, yeah, I had a good workout on Friday. I was actually quite surprised, um, how normal it felt, um, felt good, was in spikes. Um, and I wanted to do a real workout and not just like, do some strides basically, because I kind of wanted to know right then if I was going to be able to continue my season or not. Um, because if, if my calf wasn't hundred percent, I didn't want to like risk any more than I already had, um, as far as injury goes and felt great, was able to run, you know, quarters in under 60 seconds, um, had some eight hundreds cut down to about two flat. Um, so good, good race simulation stuff. And, and a good confidence boost or not really a confidence boost, but just it built confidence that I'd be able to run the pace required for this race, um, which will be roughly like 60 to 62 seconds per lap. Um, so calf felt good. Um, next day felt good. So, uh, made the decision. Yeah. going to go through and, and race pre two mile quarters in under 60 seconds. That would be that would be the American record in two mile. That'd be exciting. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that would be well into the American record. <laughs> no, but it, it is an interesting thing to, to think about. You haven't raced a lot of three Ks. Um, I mean, this is a 3,200, but basically the same thing. 
since your, your college days. And the 3K, in my perspective, has always been this really interesting marriage, especially when college guys do it in like January and February coming off across country of, hey, this, this feels basically as fast as a mile, but it's double the distance. Um, you definitely don't have... I mean, it'll be a loaded field, so there could be a little bit of, you know, like nerves there, just making sure you can handle it. But you've got the race experience and have run 5Ks at really fast paces now, too. That's probably not the same effect for you. But I wonder, you know, how do you feel thinking about eight laps at like 61, you know, or, or, or 61 point or even 60 point or closing hard, uh, just really close to that, like four minute for mile pace, but for two of them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's a daunting uh like thought when you think about it that way 60 point 61 point for um eight laps um this is a full two miles so it's 3218 meters I'm sorry, or so i'm sorry um yeah so don't don't count out those 18 meters um yeah i haven't run a two miles since high school so hopefully can get a pr there um but i i do really like the 3k 3200 two mile distance um it's a nice sweet spot um like the 5k is a long long time to grind the 1500 is quick and fast and and you can't make too many mistakes um and the 3k like you said it's kind of somewhere in the middle um just a fun day distance to race you don't get to run them very often um because they aren't you know included in the olympic schedule or the world championship schedule or really most uh meet schedules um but It'll be really fun. I, you know, I've never run a diamond league before. Um, this will be a, a fun introduction to that. Um, and at this point, the the most important part of the season was the Olympics. And right now, just trying to have some fun, run fast, compete with some guys, and um, have a good time with it. So uh, I'm I'm quite excited. Yeah, excited to watch you run a two mile. We were. I was just googling why is the pre classic two mile a two mile. And we thought, I don't know, maybe it's a domestic, you know, thing. Like being in the United States, we're going to run a two mile off of not off the metric system. We're going off of the other one, but it could be. I mean, according to a little bit of googling and a runner space thing, that pre had the national high school two mile record while in high school, eight forty one five. So maybe maybe there's a little bit of an homage to to his success there. Not not entirely sure why it's a two mile but it is a unique thing i guess you said other diamond league meets if they hold anything out of the distance is typically a 3k right yeah yeah the the prefontaine thing makes sense i mean the meets named after him i know back in the day they'd run a lot of like two miles and three miles which the three mile is never run anymore um at, at all i i haven't i've never really heard of anyone running a three mile high schoolers um in some states really i think i, I think feel like California. it's always 5k I think really? that too, but yeah. I think in other states, maybe not. You guys tell us. I'm pretty sure that there yeah. are some states that do three miles still, or some races. Like Illinois, that one that Chris Derrick has the record. Oh, at. you're right. I is think that, that is like three a three miles. mile? Some state, yeah. Midwest, maybe. I don't know. Let's, let's call out different yeah, parts of enough. the country. They're weird. That's you. It's your territory. You got to. Yeah, no, in Michigan, we were always 5K. On that racetrack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't, yeah, I don't really know. It's a mixture, but no one besides high schoolers really runs a three mile it seems like yeah yeah the the three mile is definitely an odd distance and the two mile at prefontaine is at least that i can think of right now is the only like professional two mile out there 
um yeah everything else is a 3k yeah was the one that galen did indoor was that set up for him to run the ar or is there is there an indoor that has a two mile as well there i i think bu sometimes has a two mile but i think usually when that is held it's usually someone chasing the american record um i'm pretty sure um tegenkamp has the american record in the two mile with outdoors which i believe he said at pre um it'd be interesting to look back and see the american and world two mile records and and see where they were set um daniel Komen has the world record and i believe that was a setup race for him um i can't remember where he ran it he might have run in australia i've googled it so i have the answers but I'm, i want all the guesses here Komen. uh well Komen has the world record in the two mile i i think i think it was in australia I might be confusing that with what, one of the times he broke the 3K world record, but I'm going to guess Australia. You, you're thinking of Belgium. Uh, do you know what it is? Mm. Uh, 758. 758.6. Damn. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's plugged in. And then Teg- <laughs> Tegenkamp uh, is correct uh, for outdoor, yep. I think. Wait, this might not yep. be true anymore. I think it's Tekken Camp Outdoor 807. Yes, yeah, 807 I missed him on the descending order list. It, it's outdoor and indoor because Galen ran 807.4. And then Paul, your boy Paul Chalimo, ran 807.59 uh, at the Stanford version of the pre-classic in 2019, which we hosted. Right. So that's, yeah, 807 seems to be you know, the barrier right now for Americans. But, I mean, this race is probably... Not to assume too much. Winners probably run faster than that, we think, unless it's tactical, obviously, which it could be. I, I doubt it's tactical. I think there's rabbits. Um, I think we've got rabbits going three laps and five laps, from what I hear, um, trying to run about 60 point. Um, so that's that's the correct pace. It's, it's, it's very fast. I mean, um, Komen, Komen 758.6, the only person in the world to ever break eight minutes. Uh, Halle Gerberselassi second at 8.01. So, you know, that people understand that, but that, that 7.58, I mean, anything in that 8.0 range is still basically the same thing, but 7.58 is just two sub four miles. It's, it's two by sub four mile with no recovery. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure Komen did it twice, actually. Um, I, th- I think he's just gone sub eight two times. He, uh, he very well might have. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Because this is that this has the all-time top twenty. Oh yes, he did. He ran seven fifty-eight nine as well, but it does not say where. Um, and late breaking news, according to this googling that I'm doing, Komen did run seven fifty-eight nine in Australia after already setting the world record of seven fifty-eight six in Belgium uh, previously. So he did break eight in Australia. It was just barely off of his already held world record. Uh, a little bit of a technicality, but you were you were not wrong. He broke eight. Uh, in the land down under, so really, close. Really, I was close. I, you're pretty much. Right. I thought. I thought that was where you had the world record, but yeah, d- just barely off the world record. That's tough. Yeah, you break four <laughs> twice in a row and you don't set the world record. But that's, it's already your one. world record. But yeah, if you're lining, I mean, to go to that, to go to the well like that, to not get it is definitely, definitely a tough feeling. Yeah. But this race is going to be really. I mean, you, so you're saying that pretty much everyone, the five and the ten is entered in this. I haven't seen any official heat sheets, but we're talking the medalists from from Tokyo as well, like Cheptegei, we got Kaplimo potentially, these Ugandans that's, and Ethiopians. Yeah, that's what I was hearing. Um, you know, things change. Um, those were fields that were being tossed around before the Olympics. 
So I could totally see that being a totally different field than what actually lines up. Um, you know, people put a lot of eggs in the Olympics basket and sometimes you're tired after, you know, like, especially if you traveled back to Europe, um, Eugene isn't an easy place to fly into. So I could see people kind of being like, uh, I'll just stay in Europe and do the European races. Um, don't want to go to all the way to the West coast of the U S so, um, we'll see. Um, but I, I think it'll be good, a, a very good field. Um, no matter what I, it sounds like people have plans of running fast again, that could have changed, but I, I would imagine this, this field will go pretty, pretty well. And why would you make it a two mile if you're not going to go chase something, right? That's kind of might as well run a 5k. It's interesting looking at the, the meet schedule, the longest race being the two mile, like, you know, part of the reason you can get such a stacked field is because you take out the 5k. I don't know if they're even running 10k on the diamond league circuit right now. Uh, I thought that was up in the air a little bit, but two mile being the longest race, you're definitely going to get some competitors in it. And yeah, it's interesting. Do you know, cause the diamond league jumps back over to Europe after this, basically we think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Because that's something where, uh, it is, this is a diamond league meet. It's the first one post Olympics. So in one sense, you think you get pretty much anyone who's continuing their season would go over and jump in here and, you know, try to win some of these high level races. But at the same time, it is very far away from everything else. You know, unless you came here right after Tokyo and been chilling on the West Coast for the last couple of weeks, then you're probably going to have to have a big travel day like today or yesterday to get in. Yeah, I, I know some people do that. Um, yeah, uh, Stewie McSwain and Matt Ramsden have been hanging around the Nike campus. Just they came here straight from Tokyo and have, you know, didn't uh, I don't think they could travel back to Australia. Both those guys are Aussies. Um, and I think if you go to Australia right now, it's a two week quarantine. So even if they did that, they wouldn't have been able to get there and back by the time pre happened. Um, but yeah, really, um, yeah, there's not many five K's and 10 K's in the diamond league meets anymore. Um, they kind of phase those out a little bit over the past, like two years. And so the three K two mile distance is kind of a lot of times the longest event that's being held. Um, as far as the diamond schedule, sometimes these meets will host like non diamond league, 5Ks and 10Ks, but usually it's 3K now, um, which is unfortunate. We but, can talk about that, um, but not now. But yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's to make, they're making track more exciting, Grant. They're making it more exciting. Who wants to watch a 5K or a 10K? That's, that's, that's yeah. ridiculous. It's so long. I mean, for, for distance guys looking forward, um, there's only two meets with an event longer than uh, a 1500 as far as Diamond League go um, remaining. And it's the Prefontaine two mile. And it's the Lausanne uh, 3K. And Lausanne is, I think, four days after Prefontaine. Um, and, and that's in Switzerland. Uh, so are we, are we European on cities. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out because it's a quick turnaround. Ooh, um, that's exciting. It's undecided. But uh, yeah, if I do that, I'll fly out on Sunday, the, the day after Pre, and, and get over to Lausanne, um, which will be a long travel day just getting from the west coast of the u.s all the way over to switzerland but um yeah those are the only distance men's distance opportunities between now and the diamond league final uh which is in zurich so um also you know there's really not a ton left yeah also in switzerland yep nice you, you know the swiss and they're running they're 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 big over there i got that track and field isn't that where like the olympic headquarters is or something the olympic museum 
Uh, I think so. If yeah. you go to Lausanne or Zurich, you got you got to hit that museum up, bro. Check it out. They got they got some yeah. cool features. You might be like, oh man, <laughs> so this is what the Olympics is like. Uh, it, it might blow your mind. It'd be very cool. But yeah, no, I mean, exciting for you to get your opportunity, your your first diamond league meet ever. Uh, I think growing up, you know, this was always the one. There was one in New York as well. I guess you raced the Dream Mile at that New York Diamond League meet um, in high school, but. Growing up, we're definitely watching the international ones, but also the one at pre, you know, every year, like in Eugene and when there was one at Icon Stadium in New York. It's got to be a cool experience for your first one to be on really what is home soil. Oregon's kind of home at this point, um, as much home, especially as a member of Bowerman as, as anything else. So that's got to be, it would have been cooler if you did the one at Stanford in 2019. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that is, that is, it's super exciting. Going to be a stacked field. Uh, I don't really want to get into like predictions for, for your race, but it just seems like this is the type of thing where it's, Hey, you're going to go with the Pacers and see what you kind of have over the second half of this. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, this is one of those just get in line and latch on races. Um, especially because it's rabbited. I think, I think it'll be quick and, um, hopefully everybody gets on the rabbits and we just latch on and, and, you know, hang on and, and race at the end. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. That's a fun stadium to race in. Um, brand new and um, yeah, easy travel for us, which is really, really nice. Um, just can drive down and drive back, which is uh, super convenient. So um, yeah, looking forward to it. I'm honestly a little bit surprised two nights in Eugene, uh, like Thursday night and Friday night. Like I'm a little bit surprised you're yeah. tomorrow and not Friday. Yeah, I mean, we had the option to leave Friday. Um, but I, I kind of want to just like get get driven or drive down there and just be chilling, not get driven. <laughs> drive down there just and then just down. uh just chill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you might get driven. That'd be fine. It's you know carpool, <laughs> some sort of. I'm sure Bowerman's got some drivers for hire down there. Yeah, you know us. Yeah, we'll get the limo charged up. <laughs> the electric limo, apparently. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we've kind of got that. We're really excited that you're continuing the season and get the chance to race and that you're feeling back to fully healthy. It's obviously super important. And now we get to open up the Diamond League, uh, make a name for ourselves after the old top five top five in the 10, <laughs> top 10 in the 5K. Um, that's kind of confusing, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, at the games, we, we, opened up, we opened up an Instagram poll a few hours ago. So apologies for the late notice on that one. Uh, asking for some listener questions on Tokyo, uh, Grant's experience there. We've been getting DMs, though, for a few days about it since I mentioned it on last week's pod. So we figured we would go through a couple listener questions, uh, the interesting ones, and kind of see what you got to say. Just, just you know, a cumulative like, recap of, of Tokyo, and then we'll get out of here because, you know, we're coming up on these, these pre-race vibe hours days that we got going on and we don't want to we don't want to take up too much of your time on a race week uh you cool you cool going over some of these yeah let's run through them all right hmm okay let's let's see where we should start i uh i got we got we got a question from jason and he asked grant uh were there any were there any culture shock moments that you experienced at the olympics uh any any lessons from that that you might be able to take home and i thought my my one thought on this was that you couldn't leave the village at all so perhaps not or perhaps your culture shock was more of like an olympics culture shock than strictly 
a Japanese one, but I could easily be wrong. I'm sure there was still some kind of like nativeness of, of being in Tokyo for the games that made its way in. So yeah, tell me about that. Was there any culture shock moments, maybe just being around the athletes? Like, yeah, what did you experience? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we were kind of in a bubble the whole time um, in the Olympic Village. Our our biggest interactions with the the outside world, I guess, with, with Japanese people and the Japanese culture were um, the volunteers that, that worked inside the bubble. They were all incredible, um, just so helpful. Um, they had to deal with people that spoke so many different languages from all over the world and were so helpful, just like, so excited to to be there and that the olympics were happening and um just like always brought energy and and we're i, I don't know i can't say enough about how like helpful the the japanese people were that that were volunteering there um i'd say as far as japan goes and tokyo as a whole our biggest interaction with tokyo was our bus ride between the village and the track um which was about 20, 30 minutes, um, but you got to see a bit of the city, which was cool. Um, one, one thing that was really like striking to me was just the city in general. Um, everything seemed to just like work. And I know, I know Japan and, and Tokyo is probably presenting the best version of the city possible. I'm sure they cleaned up the streets and like, uh, I don't know, made sure everything was perfect, but there wasn't like any dirt on the sidewalk. There weren't leaves on the sidewalk. There certainly wasn't any trash on the sidewalk. Um, none tons of, none of people of walked any of everywhere. <laughs> yeah, everybody walked everywhere, biked everywhere. Public transit seemed like super sophisticated. Um, the population density there was like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, Tokyo is a massive city. Um, and it was actually kind of, I guess the shock here would be coming back to Portland, which in a lot of ways is like the opposite city of Tokyo. Um, Tokyo is massive. Um, I think there's like 14 million people that live there and it's the largest metropolitan area in the world. Um, and Portland is, yeah, Portland's a very small city. So just the scale of Portland coming back, you know, I came across one of the bridges and saw the Portland skyline, if you could call it that. And there are like hundreds of, of buildings like that in Tokyo. Um, it's just such a massive, massive city. Um, and then as far as like the looking at what the streets were like, um, Portland, unfortunately has a bit of a a homeless problem that, that continues to, to endure every time I leave and come back, which is really unfortunate. Um, and that was not the case in Tokyo. I don't, I don't really know why, if they have just better systems to, to help people, uh, or, it's also possible that they knew the Olympics were coming and, and like cleaned up the streets. I have no idea. Um, but that was quite a bit different. Um, yeah, it seemed like hardly anybody had cars over there. Everyone used public transit. Whereas in the States, most everybody has a car, um, to get around. So those are some differences. Um, I really wish I could actually have experienced the culture over there because, um, I've never been to Asia before, never really spent much time overseas. It would have been so cool to just walk around and go to restaurants, go into little shops, um, interact with people and see, you know, what the experience is like over there. Uh, but unfortunately didn't have the opportunity, but, um, there's always time to go back. 
Yeah, there certainly will be. It feels like something that maybe maybe a couple years from now, whether it's a Diamond League race or just something that you're going to see a lot of people who went to the 2020 slash 21 Olympics like popping up in Tokyo just to like see, hey, this is this is what it was like. Or like, this is what it would have been like if I had been here when, when all this stuff was taken care of. Um, yeah, it, that, that's interesting. I'd imagine that you probably couldn't gather so much about like the public transit from the bus rides, but it definitely, I would imagine, is a city that operates on maximum efficiency. Uh, it, it seems like a cultural way. And it's yeah, very, it, very impressive and very different from most of what we've got going on in our city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think they kind of have to just because of the density of population there. Like it, it's just impractical if everyone had a car and the cars that are on the road are so boxy and square, like full um, efficiency as far as the cars go. Uh, if that makes sense, there isn't mm-hmm. like a long hood. Um, all of them kind of look like a, like a Nissan cube. If you know what those cars are, like they're just kind of, squares which is optimal for like fitting stuff in and parking and and those type of things they look like kind of ugly um compared to american cars shots fired but spatially spatially they like make more sense if you're in a population dense city are you saying the bowerman limo ride to eugene (laughs) wouldn't have happened between the the olympic village and the the stadium yeah, every car just like looked kind of sandwiched, uh, like smushed on on either end. Um, it was it was really interesting, and most every car was a Toyota. Um, yep. We noticed, and the one of the only luxury cars we saw over there were Mercedes. Um, no, really, other luxury car brands. I don't know if that's an importing thing or what, but um, interesting. Yeah, no, that yeah, I mean. <laughs> We had to work with what limited exposure to the outside world we got. So we were looking at cars and looking <laughs> Extra- at buildings extrapolating and the dissecting system. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Um, okay. No, that's a good answer though. So we got a question from a kid named Kieran T. Uh, favorite celebrity athlete sighting parentheses aside from me. Not sure what that's about, but uh, yeah, I asked you, a couple of days into the games after after your 5k if you'd seen anyone if you talked to anyone post that slash take us back for people who didn't listen to that episode uh has there been a fa- was there a you know total now that we're past it favorite celebrity athlete sighting or did you see anyone interesting ex- unique uh walking around in the village besides besides this uh this kieran t <laughs> yeah bes- besides kieran um we were uh walking to the dining hall one day and uh, I saw this massive guy, like huge. And, and in the village, everyone is a, a physical specimen. Like everyone's a genetic outlier for whatever sport they do. Um, but you this guy you was have like... plantaris muscle. It, yeah, every, yeah. Everyone, everyone's on the spectrum there. Yeah, this guy was like next level tall um, and big. And um, I realized after like five seconds of staring at him while he was walking that it was Yao Ming. Um, he, uh, he coaches the women's Chinese basketball team. Um, and the guy is huge. I've never seen anyone that he tall. He makes I mean, Shaq I, look like normal in the pictures or like small yeah, in the pictures, which is absurd. I, I think Yao is like seven, five or something like that, which is absurd. Um, but yeah, he was just towering over everybody. Um, it was wild. So saw Yao, um, that was really cool. That's sick. I, I stood next to uh, Luka Doncic in the uh, dumpling line. Um, he's also huge. I didn't realize how big he was. I thought he was like 
I don't know, like six four, but he's not six he, four. I was gonna guess six four. Yeah, no, I he's got to be like six seven and like stocky, big, like uh, like pretty thick. He is six um, seven. Damn. Yeah, it, it's crazy how seeing these guys up close is it's insane watching them on TV how agile they are for how big they are. Like these guys are massive. Luca is huge. And he is just like so athletic, can like dance around guys. It's wild. Um, That's awesome. On the other end of the spectrum, I was in a, there's a little gift shop. Um, and the other side of the gift shop, I saw Simone Biles. Um, so that, that was a huge name. Um, she had like a squad of uh, like coaches and trainers around her and stuff. And it didn't seem like she wanted anyone approaching for pictures. <laughs> so I was like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I would ask for a picture, but, um, she's the other end of the spectrum, like super tiny, super short, like obviously incredibly powerful. Um, but yeah, it would have been funny to see her like walking by Yao or something like that. Yeah. I I'd say those were the biggest names I saw besides Kieran. <laughs> of course, of course. Besides, besides Kieran and the rest of your, rest of your Byron teammates. That's, that's sick though. Yeah. You don't think of Luca as a guy who's like that big. I mean, just, a lot of guards in the NBA, but clearly, clearly it's like a little bit deceiving when everyone else on the court is also six, seven or, you know, seven feet tall. Yeah, it is. It's very deceiving. Okay. What else, what else do I got for you? Um, we had a lot of questions about food, which was in my opinion, funny because we went deep on the dining hall. One of these episodes, I swear to God. Uh, but Questions about, hey, so, you know, you have a normal pre-race meal. Were you able to get that in the village? Were you bringing that in from outside? Uh, what was, we, we kind of covered the dining hall holistically. But yeah, about that, like, pre-race meal and, like, pre-run food and that stuff specifically, was that taken care of? And how was it? Yeah, everyone's so interested in the, in the food. It's it, that's I didn't expect everyone to have so many questions about food. But, um, yeah, I mean, usually before races, I eat like pasta and some chicken or something like just pretty basic stuff. Um, sometimes I'll switch it up. I'm not super before night races. Uh, the, the night before <laughs> oh, races. Okay. I the night before I was going to say, did I say before night races? I thought but you said I, before races, which could have, yeah, I, I messed that up. We're good. The night before races, you do this. Yeah. Sorry. The night before races, I usually go pasta. Yeah. Um, which the dining hall had, there was pasta and like red sauce or like cream sauce and chicken or whatever. So, um, yeah, that was all good. Um, the morning and day of the race, you know, the, the dining hall had different stuff than I'm used to. Like, I really like to have oatmeal before even a night race. Um, like all, if I'm racing at like 9 PM at like five or six, I'll eat some oatmeal. Uh, it's kind of like my last meal. Um, and, and, and same for a morning race, if I have a morning race, my pre-race meal is usually oatmeal, um, and like some bread and toast and banana or something. But um, the dining hall rotates what they have uh, like throughout the day to coincide with like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So when I went to the dining hall at like 4 or 5 p.m., obviously there's no oatmeal at that time. So you got to be a little adaptable um, and like make things work um, just with what your options are. And everyone's in the same scenario. Um, so yeah, I, I can't even remember what I had. I think I had some hard boiled eggs and some toast and give one. maybe some chicken. Yeah. Um, 
I'm trying to think what else I might have had. I, I'm telling you right now that it means you had some hard races if we can't remember the pre-race. <laughs> the pre-race yeah. meal. It means yeah, the that, races were pretty freaking draining. Yeah, the pre-race meals uh, weren't anything to write home about, but they got the job done. Um, but that's that's a great example of, you know, you should know what works well for you before races, and you should, like, experiment a little bit, like, before races, trying to figure out what works. But you can't be like so, so attached to that pre-race meal that if you can't get it or don't get it, that it like throws everything off and you think you're going to have a bad race. Um, that's a small example, but yeah, in the village, you, your options are what's in the, in the dining hall. And if they don't have what you want too bad, you know, you got to adapt. Well, that's sick because it's literally the Olympics, you know, like, like maybe like if you're at running camp or if you're, you're staying in a hotel before a race and, you know, like the hotel breakfast doesn't have what you have. It's like, ah, oh, like, you know, this is going to be a tougher race or, or whatever. But I think it's a really like important example for runners of all stages. The fact that you're going into an Olympic final potentially with not not at all bad fueling or improper. You get enough, but just not what you would do in 90 percent of races that that you've run in your life that it's super interesting. And I understand what you say about everyone being in that situation, but at the same time you're in that situation and it's cool to see that you have to be adaptable even on that kind of stage. Cause you maybe wouldn't expect it. Maybe you think it would all be perfectly manicured out and you would get optimal fueling precisely when you need it from the American team or something. But it's cool that, uh, you had to adapt even in that situation, I think. Right. Yeah. And honestly, you know, if, if I really felt the need that I needed oatmeal and stuff, like I could have, thought ahead and packed like instant oats or something and just used hot water there and, you know, done that. But, um, yeah, you know, you make it work. It's nice um, to not be dependent though on a meal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Also based on the, based on the laptop situation, lack of a charger, I'd imagine that the thinking ahead, I didn't, it probably didn't extend to the, over- <laughs> <laughs> the over- yeah, that, the oats was not in the packing list, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it very well could have been like, it wouldn't have been that hard to, to pack a, like, one of those little Quaker like instant oat packs, but it is what it is. I'd say it turned out fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say so as well. Um, The rest of these questions are more related to the running side of things. So transitioning over a little bit, uh, Jude had a question. He also had some DMS for us. So we really appreciate that a while ago. He asked, uh, how do you still keep your kind of your, your winning mindset? You know, the confident mindset you carry with you into races in a field full of, that accomplished of runners yeah um you know it's hard um every level that you run at um if you're doing it correctly in my opinion um you you shouldn't always be like the best guy in the field um so whether you're in high school and middle school college um post-collegiately like running as a master whatever it's always good to challenge yourself and be in a field where there's better, better people than you. And, um, like with that, you, you kind of have to learn how to race against people that are better than you. Um, and I've always enjoyed getting into races and knowing that people might be more accomplished on paper than me and, and try to beat them. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's very easy to be intimidated. Uh, it's easy to be scared. Um, I was up against world record holders, medalists, uh, you name it, 
they were all in that field and I was none of those things. I wasn't even close to those things um, uh, on paper, but I knew that my best shot was to put myself in it and believe in myself. And at the end of it, like if there's a point where people are pulling away, if there's a point where I realize I'm not going to like win or medal or whatever, um, that I still need to try to maximize my ability on that day and um, run the best race for me, even if I'm not winning the, the overall race or, or getting a medal or whatever. Um, and I think that's a great approach when you're at any level, any of those levels I said, like more often than not, you're not gonna win the, the race that you're in um, unless you're like competing at the wrong level for what your ability is. More often than not, you're gonna come come up short than than like victorious and learning how to like not race against yourself, but maximize what, what you can put out on the day is a skill. Um, and it takes discipline. Like it, it's no fun to watch guys pull away from you. It's no fun to, to slowly watch yourself blow up and, and feel your legs get heavier as people kick away. Um, it's no fun, but um, I know that if I put myself in it and then if people happen to, to pull away and I'm not in the race for the win or the medal or whatever, and I can still go through my gears and, and kick well and give it everything I have, that someday I'll be at that level and I'll be in the position where I'm near the front and when the kicking starts, I'll be there too. And at that point, I'll have practiced many times how to go through my own gears and how to maximize myself on the day. And um, I think that's when you start seeing yourself be more successful at whatever level you're at. Um, you got to put yourself in it a few times and come up short a few times before like you're actually in it and can compete. Um, and when you're coming up short, you have to make sure that you're still getting the most out of yourself. You're still learning something, you're getting something out of it. And uh, I think like keeping that mindset was important for me at, at this Olympics, just um, getting the most out of myself trying to compete with these guys, not being afraid, um, but also when they pull away, not just tightening up and, and conceding. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of the plan. And um, I think that can be, be applied to pretty much every level of running. Well, there is such a just, I agree with what you're saying. There's such a variance too. Like there's such a variance within losing a race of the different outcomes you can have and the different ways you can handle that, like what you're saying. And it's so important to maximize even in something that, okay, I know with 400 to go, I'm not going to win the race, like you said, and, and still be able to get the most out of, out of what you have left, you know, because you only have like that 400 meters left to change any sort of outcome in the race. And then, then it's, it's dusted forever. It's, it's what it is. So I, I do think that, yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. It seems so important to keep up that mentality all the way through your final. Um, even if maybe you don't have, on the day what the actual best guy in the world has uh and it's and it's fifth or it's ninth or it's, it's right around there but it's not it's not all the way there yet yeah and i guess to to come back to the exact wording of the question the the winning mindset like in the 10k me getting fifth for me was kind of winning that like, was a win we won. i i don't think i don't think i was even on my best day i don't think i was doing much better than that. Maybe if I had done everything perfectly, I could have gotten fourth, but 
I don't think on my best day I was getting first through third. Uh, it just wasn't in the cards. And um, that's the thing. Like you can, I think you can have a winning mentality even in races where you don't win or races where um, say you're in a road race and you're going to finish probably somewhere between 50th and 100th. Um, you can still win the day like for yourself, e- even if you know going in that you have no shot of, of winning the actual race. You can still win the day for yourself and, and have a win um, as far as how you execute and how you race and how much you get out of yourself. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say like, and especially when you get used to doing that, it gets easier each time. Um, it just becomes a little more routine. You're less afraid. Um, you're less hesitant. You're more willing to just um, get after it. And I think like the more you do that, uh, yeah, the easier it gets. Well, a lot of people say that's the beauty of running too. Like you can compete against yourself in right. relation to a, to a distance or a course or, or, or whatever it is. But yeah, it certainly seems like something where if you understand this, I guess more for recreationally, because I would agree with everything you said that you had a win in the 10 K and also that 5 K. I think it's fair to say, that. I don't know what else more you, you could have done the way you gritted out until like basically 800 to go before getting spit off the back of that lead pack. That was you blew up i guess but <laughs> but being there three 800 to go is about what you could have gotten out of yourself on that day so yeah the the the, the backwards movement towards it's kind of like uh yeah i think i would rather have done what you did than than come in eighth and, and run it a little more conservatively or seventh or something so just just saying that i assume that you're at peace with that as well <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm at peace with it. <laughs> but, but but going into the uh, competition against yourself component, it's definitely if you understand why you're why you're doing it or uh, find joy in this competition against yourself or this grind to get better, then there hopefully shouldn't be too much difficulty in applying that within a race. Even if you're in a hundredth or two hundredth in a random road race, right? You're getting beat by a bunch of people to take that internal and and have that competitive fire to beat your previous best time, or if that time's out the window to, to do as well as you could have on the day. Cause there's always going to be, I don't know if excuses is the right word, but certainly variables, uh, that affect our ability to race. Like you went into that 5k and realistically it was a lot harder of a challenge because you were tired. And also because of the acute issue in your calf, it's a lot harder of a challenge to, to be top three or top five compared to the 10k, which was still a very hard challenge just because of what you're dealing with. So you don't need to necessarily reframe your goals, but it's important when, okay, there's 800 to go. Maybe I'm not, maybe this isn't my day to be top five again, that you're able to buckle down and, and maximize. And I think that lesson can apply to runners of all levels as well, where, Hey, maybe you ate something weird or you feel bad or, or you are tired or you have a cramp or whatever, but you know, now you got to still get the most out of yourself on this day because a, you're going to feel better about it. And B, it teaches you how to get the most out of yourself, which is super valuable. And on days where nothing's wrong is going to be the difference between a massive PR and, and not having that is this, I don't know, that's going a little deep with it, but it, it's, it kind of seems like what it is. No, that that's really well put. Like, yeah, I totally agree. Every time that you buckle down and get the most out of yourself and, and, you know, win the day for yourself, it gets easier each time. Um, I'll also add that every time you give up, it, it gets easier to do that every time. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> so like, so that's the unfortunate aspect of it. Like it becomes a little more routine, a little more just like accepted in your mind. Um, 
going both directions, the direction of grinding it out and maximizing and also the direction of packing it in and, and, you know, having a bit of like self pity and just like, yeah, taking yourself out of it voluntarily. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a double edged sword. Um, and that's not just limited to race days. No, no, it's not. Yeah. I, I, that applies always, you know, you, your habits become habits. Like you do things once it gets, it's, it gets easier to do it the second time. Um, and the third and the fourth and, um, you know, you, you just have to be careful with that stuff. Like there are so many races I've been in where I've wanted to drop out, where <laughs> I've wanted to just like pack it in because that's the easy thing to do. Um, but each time you do that, it's, it, it's a slippery slope. It, it gets easier and easier to make that decision. So, um, you know, obviously there's correct times to drop out, like if you hurt yourself or whatever, but, um, yeah, I, I'd say like, yeah, each time you do something in training, in racing, um, in whatever, it gets easier the next time. Yeah, All right. I think I think we answered that about as much as we could have. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <we're... laughs> okay, so just one or two more because we are we are coming up on a good amount of time here. Um, we got a question from Enrique asking if you learned anything new from your competitors at the games, anything that you might want to try for yourself moving forward. I just think that ties really well. There is a component of these races that was just you really did maximize and the levels maybe weren't quite lined up for you to be top three or, or win one of these. So to an extent that is just reps, it's time, it's training, it's practicing the legs. But was there anything more tangible that you, you saw from maybe some veterans, maybe from even other races at the Olympics uh, that you could take away and be like, Hey, I, that, that's something I've, I've learned now from this and I'm going to apply to my own racing moving forward. Cause I feel like there's always some little things. Yeah. Yeah. You can always learn people, learn things from some of the guys that you race. Um, especially when they're at the level that they are, you know, they're, it's not coincidence that some of these guys are at the top of the world. Um, they're at the top of the world because they do a lot of things right. And they're really effective at their training and are really talented and determined people. Um, a couple of things I learned, um, generally have to do with just like racing. Um, on the international scene, things are just a little more physical than domestic races here in the U.S. Um, I'd say people are just a little more polite here, like as far as domestically, domestically racing. And if they want to go to a position, they're not going to like purposely bump into you or, or like if they're boxed in, they'll wait and try to get out. You know, um, so these international races, they're just more physical. They're more choppy. Um, you have to be constantly on your guard kind of um defending your spot because if someone wants your spot they'll just try to take it they'll try to elbow you out um they'll you know try to slot in um yeah you, you just have to be more prepared for some of the physical nature of of these international races which which i'm cool with like I, i'm totally cool with uh, a more physical race um it just took me a second in some of those races to be like oh all right i guess i guess this is how the game is played uh at this level and then you kind of adapt and you're just like, all right, this is, this is now the norm. Um, <laughs> now we elbow each other. And, uh, like now, like if someone wants to come in, you kind of have to stiff arm them or like throw a little, an, an arm out to, to keep them out. Um, which you have to do in the domestic circuit, but it's just a little more aggressive in that international one. So, um, I guess from, from the, the racing style of the field, I learned that not from a specific person. Um, and then, uh, 
I guess from specific people, um, a lot of those East African guys, I've learned that they fart like these races. Um, they'll surge and then they'll slow down and they'll surge and slow down. Um, and that just zaps your legs. It just doesn't feel good. So when you surge and slow down throughout a lap, that's a 65 in a 10 K it feels like you just ran a 61. Um, it's draining. And, uh, a lot of those Ethiopian guys, the Ugandan guys, Kenyan guys, they were really effective at surging and slowing down and not having it really zap their legs. Uh, I'm sure they have a lot of practice with that. So, um, certainly in, in training, um, that's something you got to prepare for that, that back and forth. And, and we do at Bowerman. Um, but we'll need to continue that to just be able to weather those storms, um, like a, a little more effectively. Um, and then I'll, I'll keep going down, down the, uh, order of like being more specific, but I learned a lot from Mo, um, my teammate who came off the 10 K pretty disappointed. Um, you know, he went for the win and came up short, uh, and got sixth and really wanted a medal. Um, really wanted to win that 10 K, um, and came back in that 5 K and, you know, almost won the thing. He got a silver medal. Um, just like not putting your head down, um, you know, not feeling bad about yourself, not conceding, um, because he tried a strategy in the 10 K and it clearly didn't work. Um, and being able to, to rally back mentally, physically too, and show up for that 5 K and, give it everything he had and, and mix it up with those guys and not give him an inch. Um, guys that beat him by quite a bit in the 10 K. Um, he was able to beat almost everybody in that five. So, um, just knowing that like on the biggest stage, you still need to have that resiliency, that, um, that ability to bounce back, um, refocus and come in fired up and, uh, it, it paid off for him. So, um, yeah, if I if I do these doubles in the future, that's a really important skill that I'll need to, to hone a bit more. Just being able to be a little more durable, bounce back, um, come in hungry for for uh, even the second event that you're doing. I mean, so much the last question. I don't. I don't. Have, I mean, I don't know if we can answer any more than that. <laughs> I certainly don't have anything else to add. That. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm learning a lot just listening to you, especially on the international scene. So I'm sure everyone else is as well. Uh, there's there's one more question from Tim. There's a couple more, but the last one we would answer is: you know, How's your training going to change after the Olympics with with time off? Uh, as we said at the beginning of this podcast, there is no time off anymore. Uh, <laughs> we got we got the two mile Saturday afternoon, one fifty six Pacific time, according to where did we find that? Was it online or was it Joe Clucker's Instagram? I think I think I saw it on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So shout out him on NBC, uh, the pre-classic two mile featuring Grant Fisher among a whole bunch of other people. Your first Diamond League meet in Oregon. I'm fans are in attendance, so maybe some people have tickets. Um, I, I won't be there. I was gonna say, oh, like, come up and talk to Grant, but I'm not Grant, so I'm not gonna say that. But definitely, uh, hopefully we'll see some of y'all there uh, and we'll be cheering on. I'll be cheering on from back here at Stanford. Is there anything anything I missed big picture-wise? I wanted to make sure we got the plug for the race this weekend out there. Yeah, I mean, nothing big picture. Um, yeah, I guess we didn't answer that question probably as well as the, the, the person asking was hoping. But yeah, basically... I don't like, think so. I think, I think you nailed 
I mean, keep going if you want, though. Hundred percent, keep going. Uh, as far as like how training changes, um, it's just oh, like maintenance one, yeah. right now. Yeah, it's just maintenance. Um, feeling good, getting ready to race. Um, unsure exactly where my season will go after Prefontaine, but um, if it extends, yeah, those the workouts are just kind of maintenance, like keeping the legs moving, making sure like you're still working a little bit because sometimes if you just like take your foot off the gas hundred percent, you just kind of feel flat. Mm-hmm. Um, so keeping some mileage, um, yeah, keeping, keeping the body moving a bit. Um, but you're not gaining a ton of fitness at this point. It's just kind of, um, yeah, maintenance would be the best way to describe it. And then once the season's over, um, take some downtime, um, a little bit without running, sprinkle some runs in there and then start building back up for the fall. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, that, that's for later. Right now we're still in race mode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ideally, ideally you're, you're maximum sharp for the Olympics if you hit it right. So coming off of kind of maximum sharp, we're just trying to hold like really sharp for, for this duration here that you're going to keep racing. It seems like, I mean, you might, you might be able to hold that for a while. It's not that that's like a completely impossible thing to do. It's just right now you're trying to keep kind of that sharpness that you've had a little bit uh to the extent that you've had it so yeah it seems like this race will be will be a fun one maybe maybe we'll be hopping on a jet to switzerland which even if you're not it's just a cool sentence for me to say uh about you and if you do you gotta you gotta bring the microphone because because we're gonna we're gonna have to have a pre-classic recap pod uh maybe not sunday if you're traveling or if you don't travel we'll figure it out but one one of these days before uh diamond league in switzerland so Good luck to you this weekend on behalf of me and I'm sure everyone listening. Uh, let's get after it. Maybe maybe set a little AR. Who, who's, who's to say we can't? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, it should be fun. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our episode of Half Step Pod. And we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Later. Later.